the worker, the impact on the worker and the and the impact going forward will be something that we will continue to watch and try to understand how technology can support them. Welcome back, Brian Hoagley with CISO Life. Today, I'm excited to have Jennifer Pilot with us. She is the Vice President of Strategy and Engagement at MXD, uh, also known as the National Center of Cybersecurity for Manufacturing, headquartered in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Jennifer, welcome to CISO Life. Thanks for coming on. Hi, Brian. Thanks so much for having me. So Jennifer, um, tell us a little bit about what's going on at MXD and your role um, for strategy engagement there. So MXD is an advanced manufacturing institute as part of a uh, national network of manufacturing USA institutes. Each one is focused on a particular technology. MXD is a little unique because we're focused on the entire digital threat. And so we are really looking at everything from the design, uh, the design phase to production, supply chain, all the way through sustainment and end of use. We are really focused on making sure that digital technologies drive innovation in America and that these technologies are used securely and that the worker is, is part of the solution. So making sure that we're equipping workers with the skills that they need to drive innovation for generations to come. Right. My role in that is working with our external stakeholders. We are a membership organization, so we have members from industry, academia, and government that come together to solve problems that are too big for any one entity to solve on their own. And we work with them very closely. We have nearly 300 members um, that inform our investment strategy and that drive the technologies that we are trying to, to develop through different specific focused projects um, that we do here and at our member facilities. So in the first five years of the Institute's history, we've invested over $90 million in about 60 projects, and we have plans to keep that pace going forward in some critical areas like cybersecurity, workforce, design, um, uh, next generation communication technologies, and then I think uh, what we're here to talk about today, supply chain. Yeah. So the um, so I've been, obviously working with MXD, I've been to your guys' facility. It's it's massive. I think it's it's really interesting, like the the setup you have with the floor. So it's not just, you know, you're not just a trade association in, in the purest sense. Like you have this like fully operational factory floor where you've got different vendors, solutions, providers, partners in there, kind of showcasing kind of the ideas that you're talking about and then kind of looking to bring forward to, you know, the workforce, the, you know, the 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 economy, the nation, what you know, what what have you, whatever you're you're um, kind of audiences, which I think is really, really interesting. You don't see a lot of that. And you guys do like demo days and you have like kind of industry days yeah. where people come in. It's a really a unique setup. And I think we leverage, so we're on this, in this 100,000 square foot innovation center and a quarter of that, tw nearly 25,000 square feet is, is, an is a factory floor. And we have test beds where we demonstrate and validate different technologies, a discrete test bed, process test bed, assembly, cybersecurity, 5G, uh, conveyor. There's quite a few of them. The factory floors also house, houses the McKinsey Digital Capability Center, which really shows the evolution between going from a legacy factory to a digital factory and what that means for your operations and what it means for your bottom line. And for our vendors that also have an opportunity to demonstrate their solutions on the floor, it means that they can interact with the customer in a neutral environment because we're really focused on the solution, not on the sales. 
-hmm. we're a public-private partnership and we're pre-competitive. So you actually see competitors come here and collaborate on new solutions to manufacturing problems that you, we see manufacturers experience across the country. And it's an exciting place to take something that maybe is working in, uh, in process and try it in discrete or in additive and try it with traditional manufacturing. And we see a lot of a lot of interesting developments come from those collaborations, and just by the fact that that, that folks that may not work together on a regular basis are together on the factory floor. Um, you wrote an article um, that you actually published through MXD on securing supply chain and considerations, and and that was the genesis for kind of us coming on here to talk about this. I really liked it. You know, your your points were, um, you know, you articulated them really well. I think you hit some components that people maybe are thinking about, but they're not really maybe acting on. We're all consuming a lot of information right now and doing a lot of analysis to try to understand what's happening because what we are experiencing through the COVID pandemic is really unprecedented. And to talk about things like the supply chain, you have to look at a number of factors that you don't typically see at play at the same time in previous emergencies or in supply chain disruptions. And so I've been thinking a lot about, and as MXD, we've been thinking a lot about what that means for our manufacturing members, both in terms of an ability to respond to the crisis, but then of course, what that means for manufacturing after the crisis. Mm -hmm. And what we see here is an opportunity and not to be opportunistic through, through an emergency, but manufacturers in their very nature are doers and makers. And so they are the perfect partners in a crisis to help be part of a solution and also to seize on this moment to make sure that we are more resilient as a, as a national supply chain and as a national manufacturing base to respond and to support responses in future crises. So thinking about those things, really, I think we took a deep dive look into some of the early observations that we've been hearing from our members and just noticing in economic trends um, from COVID. So one of them is some of the impact that we've seen about how production has been has been centralized in certain places. Um, what's unique about the COVID pandemic and the disruptions we're seeing to manufacturing is that you're having both a supply and a demand side crisis. So you have uh, production that when a certain region of the world goes offline because they have restrictions on on movement and on, on people being face-to-face -face and normal factory operations, uh, you can't get the production that you need. And some, some critical components all come from some of the same countries. And so if mm. you can't get those back into your supply chain, it means that if all of your auto tier three auto suppliers or your, your electronic components are coming from Asia, you are gonna have a challenge doing the, the later stage value additive assembly um, in countries in the West. And mm. so we really have a global economy and when uh, regional production is, is impacted, it's going to affect the whole supply chain. So that was one really big lesson that we're seeing. And this is, it's a big challenge because companies for years have been looking at the best place to locate manufacturing for a variety of reasons, cost, skill, um, transportation and logistics. Mm -hmm. And so now this is a, probably not an unanticipated consequence, but certainly the magnitude of this and the, the swiftness that this has been felt has been really, um, really eye-opening for a lot of people. So that's one lesson. Yeah, I think the, the the component that I've seen kind of from the outside looking at supply chains and just vendor 
you know, within cybersecurity, you've got a, a real push in the late last years to do vendor assessments, right? Which is kind of a, right. a, a fallout from really looking at your supply chain kind of as a whole, but really just honing in on the cybersecurity aspects of that. But when you kind of take a step back and, you know, as a CISO, right, I've, I've looked at that issue and tried to solve that problem. Now being a consumer, right, in a pandemic where everything that you're just talking about is happening, it's really interesting. And I don't have that background, right, to be able to understand full supply chain, right, within manufacturing. But now as a consumer, I'm actually watching it all unfold, which is why I really liked your article, which was like, it made sense to me, you know, being a, a layperson in this space to go, oh, that's why I can't get what I need purchased. Or that's why in six months when I want to go purchase something, there might be a delay, right? Or an impact because what the upstream effect is. Now that's pretty straightforward and, and I get that. But the, you know, when you read, when you kind of hone in on the why, I think that's the component that I really liked about what you've been talking about. And I don't think a lot of people understand is why is that impact there upstream? And you said it's like, it's cost, it's logistics, you know, and, and just location. So if a majority of manufacturing has been for say instance, moved to China based on cost, and there's a logistical requirement to get it from China to here, right? Um, the two things that get impacted is one, their workforce, their people to be able to produce those things cheaply aren't working. Two, logistically right. to move all that stuff out of that country into ours becomes a heck of a lot harder. And then once it's onshore to move it into domestic operations is probably harder because again, our workforce is impacted. So there's all these three things, right? That are all coming together, unfortunately at once. And most planning, when you do kind of disaster planning, especially in the cyberspace, you kind of hone in on one problem going wrong. Like one, well, only one problem really manifesting itself. Like, oh, what if nobody can come into work because the building is shut down? Okay, well, they'll all go work from home and everyone will still kind of survive. Well. Now you're compounding it with a couple different things that no one really kind of says, well, what if this happens and this happens and this happens? And usually at the board level or executive leadership level or business owner level, you're sitting there scratching your head going, what's the reality of that actually all taking place at once? Well, and, and you're right. I, to, there's a multifaceted approach here. And then it's compounded by the fact that it's not just a US problem, right? Everyone is experiencing the same demand shocks and the same supply shocks and so when you look at that the whole world wants the same things and now doesn't want the same things right. and that the whole world is trying to get the intermediary products to produce final products for critical supplies and equipment critical infrastructure food supply uh it, it creates also a dynamic where you have geopolitical geopolit factors come into play uh nationalism right. and and domestic protect protections which I think everyone understands the desire for governments and, and countries to protect their people. So how do you, when you have a global supply chain, deal with some of those factors too? The worker, the impact on the worker and the, and the impact going forward will be something that we will continue to watch and try to understand how technology can support them. Because when the worker comes back into the factory, it's gonna be really important that they have security protections and a visibility that they can, to your point, do remotely. Manufacturing doesn't easily lend itself, at least historically, to remote operations. Right. But digital technologies provide this opportunity to do far more of that and manage far more of that more securely, to dynamically schedule inventory, to dynamically schedule production and worker shifts in a way that really introduces more, more safety and security for workers. 
while keeping production very high. So right. some of this, when we talk about these challenges, they are big challenges. But again, the opportunity is here where for a reasonable investment in many, many cases, you can get that increased uh, ability to, to keep your operations running at critical times. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I, I think that the, that the regionality of this too is very interesting because it's not just the U.S. that goes to certain parts of the world for certain things. It's the whole world, right? Sure. We sure. kind of regionally structured the global value chain in a way where uh, it, this, this, all the, the, the feel of this is, is exacerbated for everyone. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a big thing. And we'll, we'll see some of that change, I think, but there's going to be certain components that the economics don't make sense to produce them domestically. Right. Um, and we'll have to think as a country, what we, what we need to do in order to, to have capacity domestically. And for that, again, I think digital technologies provide such a, such a solution because if maybe you're not going to have the production capacity on a normal day-to-day -day basis to make widgets and components. But in an emergency context, you want to make sure that you have agile manufacturing, mm -hmm. uh, resilient manufacturing that can absorb or produce anything that we need domestically, right. if such conditions would require it. And again, I think understanding using technologies like digital twin, like advanced analytics, machine learning, AI, uh, additive manufacturing really help you be able to respond and, and adapt to those conditions more quickly. Yeah. There's, there's two areas I, I wonder. One, in, in security space, we have a saying, you know, never waste a good breach. Uh, you know, it's the concept of don't ever waste a good uh, crisis. The, the other one that kind of goes along with that is don't ever waste a good regulation. Um, you know, do you, you, do you see kind of like requirements, regulations coming down through OSHA that will or, or, or those kind of, you know, regulatory bodies that have an impact on factory floor and manufacturing operations around, you know, people safety? Do you see kind of like, you know, post pandemic requirements, right? Like, you know, maybe we live in some, you know, state for 12 months and I'm just, you know, hypothesizing for the next 12 months where there's a six, you know, six foot rule of people having to kind of stay away. Like, is it, is it viable that OSHA takes a stance and says, Hey, part of our regulations now is that this is built into manufacturing OSHA requirements for factory floor. Like it's no longer just hard hats and tape on the floor. Now there's a requirement around, you know, uh, you know, transmittable disease. Like, I don't know, like that's not kept me up at night, but I definitely have thought about like, man, what's the impact there? Or is regulation going to come down in this space and make mandates and then effectively change how manufacturers and business owners run their operations because now they are required to. Yeah. The regulatory question is a really interesting one. Um, I don't, I don't know on that. I think, of course, there's always a bend towards letting the, the market and the industry provide a solution if they can do it. So we'll mm -hmm. have to see if it's where that ends up. And I can tell you that manufacturers are very actively talking about the conditions uh, and the the supports they're going to put in place to keep their workers safe. So I think proactively you see manufacturers doing this. And let's let's not forget, a lot of manufacturing is still occurring in the States. And so right. there's a lot of essential production happening right now and production to keep the economy going, which is critically important. And those manufacturers have instituted some measures, whether it's uh, monitoring of, of worker temperature, social distancing within factories, spacing shifts, um, lots of different, and of course, appropriate PPE. Um, the, these measures are already being taken by manufacturers, recognizing that their most critical asset is their people. And right. so they have to protect their people. And that looks differently now than it did two months ago, which is extraordinary. But of course, you have to respond to the, to, 
to the demand or the challenge that we're facing. Right. So some of that, I think you'll see from the business community. Uh, and again, manufacturers are very proactive with, with solutions, right? They're going to, I think, identify through their own actions, some best practices that uh, others can, can, can take on. Um, we certainly do it here. We are actively producing face shields on the floor right now um, with some of our partners, including Autodesk, um, and donating them to local area hospitals for healthcare workers that need them. We right. are observing social distancing on our floor. Um, our floor is not as large as a commercial factory that's making something like a car or medical equipment, but it's still something that we are mindful of and trying to make sure that we have appropriate procedures in place so that the worker feels safe and is safe. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that will, we will see that continue for sure. Jennifer, I want to thank you again for, for being on and talking to us today. Uh, again, this is Jennifer Pilot. She's the Vice President of Strategy and Engagement at MXD. You can find out more about them at mxdusa.org. And I will link that down below or on here for everyone else to uh, come on. So Jennifer, again, thank you for being on. It was a pleasure. And hopefully we uh, talk to you again soon. Thanks, Brian. Have a great day. Thank you. All right, everybody. Brian Hoagley with CISO Life. I want to thank everyone for watching. Stay safe out there. Keep washing those hands. And we'll see you on the other side of this. Take care.